Hey, we're so glad if you're visiting with us this morning. Um, we, we welcome you here. Uh, we'd love to let, let you know a little bit about us as, as we uh, learn a little bit about you. So if, you, if you're new, uh, there's a connection card in your bulletin. We'd love for you to fill that out and let us know a little bit about you. Uh, the U.S. Fifth Army in the winter of 1944 was pushing back German troops during World War II, and they came to a, a town called Casino, not a casino, but a town called Casino. And when they got there, they met stiff uh, opposition. The, the progress they were making kind of stopped because around the city of Casino was a mountain range. And the German troops had fled to the higher ground, and up on this mountain was this abbey of Monte Cassino. And if you are a church historian, you know it. Otherwise, you don't. Uh, but Monte Cassino is where St. Benedict wrote the Benedictine Order, which kind of governed how monks operated in the Western world. And so it's a big-time big historical place. And along with the Fifth Army, there were some people who weren't soldiers. In fact, they were museum curators and historians, and they've made a movie about them since called Monuments Men. But uh, they came, and they kind of had a checklist, and they had things that were supposed to be in all of these towns as they pushed through, up, through Europe, pushing the Germans back. They knew what artwork was supposed to be there. They knew sculptures. They knew landmarks, and they knew that they wanted to preserve and protect those because they understood that Hitler wanted them too. He wanted them for themselves, and so he was going to take them, put them in a museum so that everyone had to come and see how great his collection was. But they also knew that if Hitler couldn't have it, oftentimes no, no one else could either. And so they would destroy it on their way out. Excuse me. On the list of things of, that they needed to, to look out for was Monte Cassino because of, its historical revel, uh, because of, of how historical it was. And so they were kind of stuck. Because the majority of the troops and the leaders of the troops thought that the Germans were using this against them and holding up in Monte Cassino and firing down at them. They made two passes up the, the mountain trying to, to push the troops back, and they had to retreat time and time again. It began to be known as Purple Heart Valley because of all the casualties that, were, uh, th that the Fifth Army was incurring. And so they, they pleaded and asked and they knew that the operation was that you try to protect these things. But Dwight D. Eisenhower said this. He said, if we have to choose between destroying a famous building and sacrificing our men, then our men's lives count infinitely more than buildings, and they must go. And so they made a decision. February 15, 1944, more than a month and a half after they got stalled in Casino, there was an aerial bombardment that came and leveled the abbey. For two days, there were a little bit of a gunfight, but it wasn't near as bad as it had been. And so very confidently, the American troops, so the Allied troops, started pushing back up the mountain, only to be turned back again. Because it turns out that the Germans had the same reverence for that building, and they didn't go in it. So the Americans had bombed a place where they thought the shots were coming from, when the shots were coming from somewhere else. And not only that, but because they destroyed the building, the Germans saw it as a perfect opportunity, since it wasn't of historical value anymore, to drop paratroopers in. And now they were using the wreckage of the building as fortification and firing back at the troops. It took another two months for the Americans to push through this. 
Today we start a series called Between the Ropes. It's boxing vernacular, which talks about how all the pomp and circumstance around a, a boxing match, all the showboating, all the talk ends when you get between the ropes. Between the ropes is where the fight is. It's where the fight's happening. It's where the strategy comes in and the training comes in and your athleticism and your skill comes into play. And whether you realize it or not, this very second, you are in the middle of a fight. And it's the fight of your life. There are two players at at this. There's good and there's evil. There's light and dark. There's God and there's Satan. And over the next four weeks, we are going to take a look at this fight. We're going to ask the question, what role are we playing? How should we fight it? Why should we fight it? And what happens? But there's one thing that we have to get perfectly clear before we move forward. And that we have to understand that although this fight is terrible, this fight is terrible, it is difficult, it is painful, but we have to know where we're fighting. Ephesians 6 is going to guide us a lot in this. Ephesians 6 verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says you are in a fight. You are in a war. But I want you to understand that this fight is not against flesh and blood. There is sin in this world. There is danger in this world. There is evil in this world. And you are fighting against the powers of this dark world. And there's this this, uh, spiritual war that's going all around you. This is the war that you're finding yourselves in. We have to understand who we're fighting. Because too often, I think, I know for me, I'm fighting people. I'm fighting flesh and bone. I'm fighting people created in the image of God. Who are you fighting? Are you fighting the political party you don't belong to? The social movements and the leaders of those? Are, are, you, are you mad at movie stars for outspoken remarks, social media sites, or business owners for allowing things that you don't think they should allow? You see, the problem is, and the reason that you are tired of this fight, that you're downcast about this fight, the reason that whatever you perceive as persecution seems like it's winning is because we end up focusing our entire energy on fighting our fellow man instead of fighting the source of evil in this world. What we've done is not too unlike what the Fifth Army did in Monte Cassino, is it? We believe that the persecution, that the pain, that the suffering, that the evil is coming from one place. And so we have, in our lives, or we have collectively as a church in the past, bombed, nuked, and shot at, and often destroyed people created in the image of God. And when the dust clears and we feel really good about what we have done, we continue to march on only to see that we're being shot back at because we took care of the monument, but we didn't take care of the problem. We have destroyed people while letting the problem sustain. What we have done is we have confused the world because there is a God who loves them, there is Satan who hates them, and yet the people belonging to God have hated them while the people who are lost love them. We have to understand that the role that we play in this is to look out for those who are made in God's image. 
and attack the real problem. Amos 5.15 says, Hate evil, love what is good. Psalm 97.10 says, Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hands of the wicked. The first thing we have to do is we have to understand that the fight that we are in is not against people. People are infected with sin. People are infected by evil. They're held captive by evil. They are not evil. But the problem is it's easier to hate sinners than it is to hate sin, isn't it? It's easier for us to look at someone and hate them than it is to look at something and hate it. It's easy to say that these people leading social revolutions that we see contrary to what the Bible says, they are the ones that are leading the world astray. It's easy for us to blame vulgar songs and violent movies and video games for why our kid acts up. It's easy for us to say vicious and vulgar things about political figures and movie stars and social media activists or liberals or conservatives or this or that or the other. It's easy for us to tear down sinners because if we do that, we can ignore the fact that the reason they are broken, the reason that they are, uh, are misguided, the reason that they make bad decisions is because they're infected with the same thing we are. And we would prefer to not be like them. If we can deflect all the world's problems on social movements, on political parties, on activists, then we don't have to admit that the real problem in this world affects us too. This week we had the honor of serving in Lexington, but particularly in Irishtown. Now, by show of hands, um, how many of you, for one reason or another, in your life have been to Rupp Arena in Lexington, Kentucky? Whether it's for a basketball game, uh, that's the only reason I go. No, the basketball game or a concert. Okay, so 20-something times a year, 24,000 people show up to watch a basketball game at Rupp Arena. There's concerts throughout the year. Thousands of people show up at these concerts. Three minutes... Walking from Rupp Arena is Irishtown. And you didn't know it was there. And I didn't know it was there. And the city of Lexington doesn't know that it's there. These are people who are poor. These are people who are suffering. And these are kids who are going to light up your life because they're so awesome. And so Wednesday night, I was going to uh, have a message where we talked about how God wants to change hearts before he changes circumstances. And so I had a whiteboard out, and I was going to ask our kids to tell us, what have you seen this week? What are the things that are plaguing this area? And right before the sermon starts, all the kids from the community walked in and worshipped with us, which was awesome, except now I was going to ask our kids while these uh, people's lives wasn't, weren't very good. And so we, we made a, a, a change. And I just listed at the top of this whiteboard, social injustice. So it was nebulous enough that hopefully the little kids didn't get it, but specific enough that maybe our kids did. And so I said, I think we can all agree that this is bad. The social injustice needs to be taken care of. And so how do we attack this? 
And we made the realization that, well, social injustice is bad, but it's not really the source of the problem. And so we made a list that social injustice sprouts from prejudice or bad decisions sometimes or whatever ism there is, whether it's racism or sexism or elitism. All of these things are, are, are the reason that social injustice exists. And so we said, okay, these are the things that we need to attack, and these are the people that are holding them down. And then we stopped again and said, well, there's more to this, right? Because somebody's racism may be inherit and so there's a whole generation of people that are, are, are struggling with this and we got to the point where the, the flow chart started with one thing we ended up with eight or nine things and I stopped us there and said we could keep doing this for a very long time but it comes back to a point and that point is sin everything that is broken everything that is not working everything that brings pain it results from sin it started in Genesis 3 And it's waged war on the world ever since. And you see, because we're created in the image of God, we get that feeling that there's something not right. We get angry. But because we aren't God, we deflect that anger towards people when God reserves it just for sin. Folks, we have to understand something. We've said this before, we gloss over it. We are to love sinners, and we are to hate sin. But we have to hate all of it. We can't just hate the sins that are convenient, or that are public, or are popular. We have to hate public sexual immorality as much as we hate those websites that too often get visited in our homes. We have to hate that our children have to hear lies from different outlet sources the same way that we hate when the children listen to the movies and the music we're listening and watching. We have to hate sin, all sin. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves fighting against people and not the problem. And so where do we start? We start by taking the cue from God. Because when Genesis 3 happened, and when sin entered the world, and when the world was broken because of it, God had every reason to send down lightning bolts and wipe out everything. And instead, he sent his son. He had every reason to wipe us out, but instead he sent us a rescuer. The God of the universe, the God that created everything, came to earth and lived in a womb for nine months. Grew up. The Bible tells us he faced every temptation that we felt. and He overcame it. He lived a perfect life. He started a ministry. He healed people. He made people's lives better. He made communities better. He did everything that he was supposed to do. And yet, the same cheers that, the same people who cheered him were the ones yelling, crucify him. The same ones that gave him praise wanted him dead. And what was his response? Jesus, who had the power to do anything that he wanted to do, submitted himself to a cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And here we are 2,000 years later, 
asking God to strike people down, calling them terrible names. And the truth of the matter is they don't know what they're doing. Just as we don't know what we're doing at times. Romans 12, 21 says, Do not become overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You're going to turn on a television today. You're going to get on your smartphone if you're not there already. You, you are going to be bombarded with evil. And the question is, does that define you? Or do you bring Christ along to overcome that? Do we allow ourselves to just be part of the noise of arguing and bickering and name-calling back and forth? Or do we bring in truth and grace and love into situations that have never seen it? The first step in this fight that we're going to study for this, this entire month is knowing who we are fighting. Because if we are not careful, we will destroy the people while the problem keeps going. Jesus understood that he came here to rescue the people while taking care of the problem. And now the ball is in our court. As Christ ambassadors, people are looking at us and asking the question, what does God think about me? And when you call them names, they're going to think that that's what it is. When you treat them as less than a person, they're going to think that God feels the same way. But if you love them like Christ, then they'll see something different. There's one of two people here today. The first one, we'll say we're in a boat together. I'm on this one. And we're in the boat because we have... Really, we really need to repent. Because we have called people names who we didn't agree with. We have tore people down. And maybe we have even destroyed people's spiritual lives by the things that we have said and the things we have done. And we need to come before God and ask for forgiveness. The other boat... Because you're here today. Thankfully, you're here today. But you have been told by a Christian that you're less than what God tells you you are. You've been called idiots and fools. You're not. You're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And he has designed you for a relationship with him. You know, the thing is, if you go to Casino today, there's a building there. They rebuilt the Abbey. It's not the same. It's probably a little bit more modern since it was built in the 50s instead of the 500s. And God's ready to rebuild you too. Because there is no wreckage that is too much. The rest of us, we're in that first boat. May we make it our goal to drop no more bombs and fire no more shots unless it's directed at sin. 
and not people. And so this morning, if you need to pray with someone about a decision you, that you need to make, if today's the day that you realize that God does have a plan for you, that God does desire a relationship with you, then we invite you to come forward. If this is the church home that you want to be a part of, it is a great church home. It is full of broken people who do amazing things because God is in charge. But all of us have a decision to make. Let us be slow to speak, slow to become angry. Let us build up instead of tear down. And let us realize we are in the fight of our lives. So let's fight the right person. It's sin. It's not flesh and blood. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word and what it teaches us about what you think about us. You could have wiped us out. You are completely justified to do that. You are a holy God and we are a sinful people. And yet instead of sending wrath, you sent us grace. And the sins that we have committed against you far outnumber the sins that anyone has committed against ourselves. And so, Father, give us the grace to forgive. Give us the words of peace instead of anger. Father, help us to hate sin as you hate sin. And to love people as you love people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.